0: Turn if you will. I'm preaching what is my favorite passage in all the Bible when it comes to Christmas. It's my, I think I've uh, run here more than any other place. But I just happen to be in the Book of Hebrews. So uh, go to Hebrews with us. And do you know? I think I could make it. Yeah, I'm, I left my glasses. But I think I, let's see, you see if I'm making. And, and if it doesn't sound right, it's not my translation. Well, good. I don't want to, the Phil Howard translation. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. I think what I'll do is not read the whole passage at one time, but read it as we cover uh, what I see as seven reasons why Christ came to earth, why a pure spirit being uh, who existed from all eternity Why he would ever visit the ghetto of this universe. The earth is a ghetto when you hung out in heaven from eternity. I mean, you're coming down to uh, the wreckage of the human race and what makes a pure spirit being. Now, let me just say a little theology. It's simple, but don't forget. Many people, the way they talk, you would think God the Son began at Bethlehem. He did not begin at Bethlehem, right? He always existed. The person of God the Son always existed. What began at Bethlehem? His humanity. He took a real humanity and he joined it to his divine person. And they'll be inseparable forever now, but he existed all eternities, a pure spirit being. And at a point in time, to a virgin named Mary, He's born in Bethlehem, so he takes a real humanity. Now, uh, there's a uh, heresy called Arianism that said he had a beginning. He had no beginning as a person. His humanity began in Bethlehem, but he was a person before he took a human nature. Okay? John 1, 1, other verses. So, keep that in mind. Now, Some say he wasn't really a human being. This was called the docetic heresy. He only appeared to have a humanity. It wasn't real. It was a real humanity, a humanity that could die, that could eat, that could feel, uh, that could weep. He was a real human being with a real human mind, emotions. Uh, He was a real human being. Now, the writer of Hebrews is saying Christ was superior to angels, superior, greater. But now he's going to say, but he who was greater and superior stooped lower than angels. He identified with us. He became a man. Why? And I see at least seven reasons in the passage. We'll be looking at it. It's just look at it for yourself. The first reason he came, he said, is because he cares for humanity. Listen to what he says. For it was not to angels, verse 5, that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and this is Psalms 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man, this is in a different person, just another way of clarifying. Not talking about God the Son here, and the Son of Man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is a description of the dignity of man in Psalms 8 and God's design. He was made lower than angels. But God's got a plan to do something with man he's not going to do with angels. He's even going to subject the world to come under men, not under angels. And he goes on to clarify, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So, He's got a future destiny, but right now the human race is a wreck. They rebelled against God, and ever since that rebellion, the human race has lost the authority to rule over the earth, and it's a wrecked humanity. It's a humanity that Satan himself killed in the Garden of Eden, and so you see God saying in the Psalms, but man, I care about I'm mindful of his condition, and even though he's lower than angels, I will do something for mankind I will never do for angels. There is no atonement for angels. There is not a future promise for the angels of how they will rule, but mankind, even in our wreckage, he came to rescue us, and he says eventually everything will be put under our rule put under our authority, he's going to restore us to a rightful place. We lost that in the garden. I think sometimes when we talk about human beings, uh, uh, especially us, we would say we're more Calvinistic than others. We talk about depravity, depravity of man. And by that, we mean man's fallen. Uh, the fall has affected his emotions, have affected his mind and his will And we talk about depravity, depravity. But we must be careful. Don't make man so depraved that he's not savable and that he does not have worth. He has worth. It's like telling a person, saying, I have cancer. You immediately devalue them. Say, you're not worth much then. You've got a lethal disease. And we start treating the person like the disease. Oh, no, no, I want to cut that cancer out. I hopefully will do whatever I can. I am not my cancer. I have cancer, but I'm not the disease. I have a mind. I have a worth far beyond any ravished disease. That's why we fight to save even the child that was born with Down syndrome. They still have value. They still have dignity. They still have worth. We don't get just to rate people what we think they're worth based upon their bodily ability and their mental ability. No. And he says, God sent his son to come among humanity because he was mindful. And it's a Hebrew way of saying, I've got you on my mind. I've got you on my heart. I sent my son to identify with you in your wrecked state. I'm coming not to paradise. I'm coming to Nazareth under the boot and heel of Rome. I'm coming to an oppressed Palestine. I'm coming at a poor time in history. But at the right time, he came and identified with us. You have to ask yourself, what am I willing to do to identify with the people I'm trying to help? What would you do? to be identified. I'm reading Elizabeth uh, Elliott's treatment of Amy Carmichael, a chance to die. And what does Amy do? Just like a J. Hudson Taylor, she changes her dress. She fits in and begins to dress like the Indian people. She lives in a hut like them. She adopts every kind of custom that would make her adaptable to them uh, without Engaging, in, of course, in their sin. But she was disdained by other missionaries. You're dressing like them. You're looking like them. You're eating their food. J. Hudson Taylor did the same thing in China. Grew his hair long. Began to wear Chinese dress. He began to blend in and identify. And this is exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to come among us identify yourself with the people you plan to rescue. And I ask myself this, how much are you willing to become like the people you're trying to rescue? You don't have to become a drug addict to reach a drug addict. But I think of John Piper when he moved to Minneapolis. Instead of the suburbs, the churches downtown, he got a a house downtown. He didn't move his kids to the all-white neighborhood. He moved them right down where the church was, where there's a big multiracial community. He wanted to identify with the people he wanted to help. Are you willing to stoop? Are you willing to blend? Are you willing to become like who you're trying to help? Every way you can. I was telling the church that uh, I had a problem when I was young thinking of uh, Rich people, I didn't, because when you grow up in the projects, you're not growing up around rich people. You got that? There were no there were no 401Ks down there. Hadn't even been invented. But as I went along, I had to identify and learn. The more money I got, they started looking better. Because I can't say I'm down in the projects that I'm all, the, no, 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 compared to where we came from, I'm a rich man. So, you see, you can judge people all day until you enter into their world, until you're willing to identify with where they are. And the first reason he came was to identify himself with the people he came to rescue. The second reason is verse 9 and 10. He came to suffer in order to save. Look what he did. Verse 9, it says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's amazing. The word taste there is a euphemism for experience. He experienced death for everyone. His death was experienced. What was the great consequence of our sin but death? And he says, I'm going to move into their ultimate suffering. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect, complete through suffering. There's a mystery about that verse that I don't know that I can plump. He said, I have come so that I can die As God on the throne, I cannot die, but I have taken a form in which you can kill me. I've taken a form in which I will experience physical death, and I will enter into that realm and taste of death on behalf of every man and every woman. He entered into this world knowing he would die, and he was willing for the assignment before it ever happened. Why did he come? He came to suffer and to die. He came to save suffering people that were dying and going to a crisis eternity, so he becomes a man in order to suffer and die. Now, isn't that what everybody's trying to escape? And he walks right into it. I think of people who are picking a life's partner. When you start out young, you're hoping there's assets. You want to pick someone, you know, When you're young, uh, that's strong, healthy, maybe, you know, my father said always check their teeth, you know, be sure the dental bill's been taken, you know, that kind of thing. What assets can you get? You seldom join up from the beginning with something that seems to be a liability. Now, one of the great features of love, and as you see, people live. And then go through life together. And one of them develops physical problems. I think of our brother uh, Adrian Uh, Diaz has been at the side of Doris through these last years. A lot of sicknesses. Seemed like every time she went in the hospital, she'd get a a greater infection than what she went in with. She she was always having compound problems. We wondered how many times would this woman be able to go in and come out. She had so many uh, sicknesses attack her. That man was faithful. That man was by her side. I never heard a complaint. I never heard. He was as good to her as any husband I've seen. We admire him for it. It was great character, great character in the man. Uh, noble love. Not just the love of youth, but the love of years. And my wife is sick. My wife is in need. And here we've got a Savior that says, I'm going to come knowing it will be a suffering relationship. It will be a dying relationship. It will be a cruel estate for me. I've chosen to become a man in order that I may die for men. And that's exactly what he did. He took a form so he could bleed, so he could die. He identified with us that much. He goes on to say in verses 11 through uh, 13, I think is some of the profoundest verses in Scripture. Tell me what it means. For he who sanctifies, and sanctifies means sets aside, treats our word saint, sanctify, and holy all come from the same word. So, are you a saint? How many of you are? Okay, you're not an ain't, but you're a saint. Okay, every child of God is called a saint because they've been set apart as holy by God. Now, does that mean we've all arrived at sinless perfection? Most of us haven't even begun. God's still working on us. But he set us apart, made us a part of his family. And then, now watch what he says, The one who sanctifies, makes men holy, and those who are made holy or sanctified, all have one source. Well, who's the source? God the Father. We come from God the Father. The new birth puts us in this category. But watch now. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Call who brothers? The ones he sanctifies. Okay, stay with it. Now watch. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, we would say in the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. You know where this comes from? This comes from Psalms 22, the psalm of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you read that psalm, midway through he starts looking at the accomplishments of the cross and he's saying, I, because of my suffering and death, I foresee the day that the people I died for, I will make them my brothers. And he said that in Isaiah 53:2, the reward of my death was God's going to give me a band of brothers that have been born of the Spirit, but they will come into a family and I'll be the elder brother. And I'll have all these family members I can call brothers. And brothers is a nice word in the Greek. It's audelphos, and it literally meant from the same womb. We all have the same source, born from above. Now watch, I'm going to sing to these guys, the disciples, that I will be able to call my brothers. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Let me ask you this. Is it blasphemy to call Jesus my brother? He calls us his brother, right? So would he not be our elder brother? Is that a little bit beyond anything you could? It would be sacrilegious if we didn't have the Bible for us to invent that close an intimacy with God our Savior. He said it. He has made us his brothers by coming to the earth, dying in our place, taking on our humanity, and now he's turned his enemies into his brothers because of this new family of God where we've got a father, we've got an elder brother, and we've got the divine help of the Holy Spirit, you are now in a family connection. See, Christianity isn't a giant brain. It's a huge relationship. It's a family relationship in which you are being brought into the family of God for time and eternity. And you call the Father, Father, and Jesus, you're my elder brother. I'm going to tell you, it's nice to have elder brothers when you grow up where they like to beat up on you. And we had a pecking order in our house. Hazel was sent out first till she turned about 15. Then it was Paul. But Paul married too soon, got away. Then it was poor David. Because we'd have kids knock you over, steal your marbles, and left you off balance, all this stuff. And uh, it was wonderful in me, uh, me being the youngest of the family. It was good to know there were reinforcements coming. Because our little mother would send them out, send them out. And I would go through this and go, and one of the kids would have to go out and rescue me. Someone would have to handle the bully. But you see, when you grow up by yourself and you have no elder brother, or maybe even you're the oldest and there's no one to. Here it says, in Christ, I have an elder brother. There is a kinship that he created by becoming a man that is unexplainable beyond the Word of God. You plumb the depths. What does that mean? I am considered a brother of the Lord Jesus. See, in his earthly life, he had half-brothers. Jude was a half-brother. James was a half-brother. He had real brothers in this world. But this is a spiritual family that he created. Now, the fourth reason he came is to forever change death for his family, since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy, and the translate take the word destroy, he might render inoperative. He did not annihilate the devil, but he rendered him inoperative in the realm of death so that he could destroy the one who has the power of death That is the devil. He came and he personally wanted to strip Satan of power in the realm of death. And look at what he says. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, can the devil kill you? Let's let's check this out. How did the human race start dying? Huh? Satan. He told a lie, and we bought it. And when we ate of the fruit, the race died in a day. Romans 5, 12, we died in Adam. What got Adam to sin? Satan. What was his tactic? To kill them. Destroy them. Who killed Job's ten children? Yeah, had to get divine permission, but he carried it out. So, he exercised. And then what is one of his greatest tactics in the realm of death is fear, the paralyzing power of fear. Uh, who's going to take my life? Threaten a man's life, and you can. You, he'll do anything. But after Jesus came, They killed thousands of us at stakes to lions, and for centuries we were slaughtered and killed because we said with Luther, the body they may kill, but the soul lives still. Go ahead, burn us, chop our heads off, throw us to the lions. We aren't afraid of dying because our founder is in charge of death, has delivered us from death, and we'd rather die for the truth than to be alive for a lie. Thousands. And early church history, they would marvel that people would sing uh, while they were dying. Many martyrs would refuse to be tied to the stake. Lights or flames, I'm not going anywhere. And they would start singing hymns. And if you would go and visit the catacombs in Rome, when you go down there, this was subterranean. It's where the slaves and where the Christians were buried. Above ground, you have these uh, epitaphs. Of all the philosophers, despair, I plunge into an endless night where there is no existence because the Greek mind said, you're annihilated at death. You cease to exist. You go in the tombs and you would see a very common inscription, forever alive in Jesus. Uh, One of the most common was a, uh, a lamb in the arm of a shepherd or they would have a sail, sailing off to heaven. It was defiant of everything above ground. I'm alive forevermore. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Oh, let me tell you, believer, you just cannot realize the fear that's been removed for us. We say, if I got to die, I'm going to just change addresses. I'm moving from here to there, but I won't cease to exist. I will continue to exist. I will continue to praise the Lamb. Man can only do so much because, so what? Burn me? Chew it up by lions? What? I wonder where the Christian shows up that was chewed up by a lion. How do you get a resurrection? Don't worry. God can put it all back together. Like if you're buried at sea, he can put you back together. Just speak the word. and you come back. He rendered the devil powerless in the realm of death. For he even said in John 8, you shall never see death if you believe in me. And that is there is no entity out there for death. Your best and greatest sight of Christ will be when you die. You will see Christ. The first thing after you take your final breath in this life will be Christ. To live is Christ, and to die will be gained. All because he came, all because he changed the cemetery forever. Well, let's keep going. This is too uh, good just to meditate on it, you know. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? He did not come to help angels. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. I've just uh, been reading articles in West County Times where George Miller's just hanging it up after 40 years. I think served 20 terms, trying to get him to do a 21st term. He said no. So he served for 40 years, very personable person and uh, uh, very interesting, had quite a career. Uh, I want to ask you, did George Miller represent you in Congress? I I saw just this morning that California is enacting in 2015, they will enact 900 new laws. So, in about 30 days, you will all be lawless of something. Plastic uh, bags are going to be outlawed. Uh, This is going to be... They didn't say anything about frogs on this one. Uh, Water, the depth that you can uh, try to put a well because of our water table dropping so much, they're setting limits on that. I mean, 900 new laws are coming out. Uh, I don't know how many voted back in November. When's the last time your vote made a difference? I don't hear a whole lot of uh, enthusiasm. Do you ever feel like anybody in D.C. represents your point of view? I honestly, I don't know. I don't know who it is. I hope there's somebody there. that Who represents you? Uh, you know, I have to even watch mailing sometimes. They'll get busy here. we got to get a mailing out. If I hadn't read it before, it's my name's on it. And you come to me and say, that's a lousy piece. I said, oh, I didn't even see it. Said too late. You should have. Why didn't you? You represent that peace. Very seldom will you ever be represented in life by someone who's fair and kind to you. And Christ says, I came in order that, and he's going to develop this theme in the book. We just touch on it. I'm going back uh, and represent you to the Father as a high priest. Let me show you something about the high priest. He had 12 stones he wore as a breastplate. And when the high priest once a year on the 14th of Nisan, Yom Kippur, uh, when they would go into the Holy of Holies, symbolically the 12 tribes were represented by this breastplate. And he sprinkles this blood on the mercy seat, And if that is accepted and he's not killed, it's in essence God is saying, the 12 tribes have been atoned for. And so, the high priest has represented the nation and its sin, but with this atoning lamb. When he turns around and he walks back through the inner court, goes to the outer court, and by the time he gets outside to the people... He now represents God to the people. This is God's answer. Your sins have been atoned for another year. Now, Jesus Christ is saying, I came to earth, I suffered, I've died, I've dealt with Satan, and I've gone back to heaven, which is a part of my exaltation. And you can count on this. I will represent you before the Father. And I will represent you on the basis of what I did at the cross. I will take the cross work and say, I died in their place, and you accepted me, so now I represent them before you. You must must accept them because I'm their representative. I'm their intercessor. So, I have a representative right now in the third heaven, that I never had, ever, none of us. We have not a Levitical priest. We don't have that, a fallen sinner with weaknesses that could be bribed, that could be corrupted. I have the perfect God-man who stands as my representative between God and I. Christ represents you and I. He's your representative. Sixth thing he does for us. He uh, bears all of God's wrath against us in himself. And he uses a word here. uh, Most folks can't even spell it, let alone say it. He's there to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, many will read uh, NIV has atonement. Uh, Totally misses it. Totally misses it because it doesn't tell you what the atonement accomplished. There's two concepts with the cross, and we'll look at this on our Wednesday night study. Expiation, expiation, propitiation. Let me give you expiation. Uh, You did damages, uh, let's say an accident, car accident. Your insurance settled. Uh, You gave us a check for the repairs and for all the inconvenience. In essence, your offense has been expiated. It's been covered. It's taken care of, all right? The fine's been written. Law number nine was broken. This is the penalty. It's been paid, expiated. But over here, imagine you shot my son for an ounce of Coke and on a drug deal that went bad. And now you're asking me, what could I pay you? What could you pay me? What could you pay me? My son is worth $10 billion to me. You coming in here offering some monetary payment like it was just a car wreck? This is against me. You stripped me of my only son. I am ticked. I am angry. I want blood revenge especially if you lived in the Middle East. Blood for blood, eye for eye. There is no offering you can give me. There's no money you can give me. I want to kill your son, and then we'll call it even. See how you like that. Sin is personal. Sin isn't just a fine. Number eight commandment, sin is against a person, a divine person. And the word used to appease his anger and his wrath, the word is this word, propitiation. And it means to abate, to satisfy, to quench the anger of the divine person. And only the Son could do it. For you... It means eternity in hell in punishment for which God says, you deserve it, you deserve it. You rejected everything I offered. You deserve hell. I have no apologies for hell, none. And if you are ever to escape it, you must find somebody that can quench my anger and my wrath toward your behavior. He said, Jesus came to propitiate the Father. He made the Father give up all desire to sentence you, to judge you, and he was subdued at the cross. And he said, you freed me to save sinners because you satisfied my wrath. You satisfied my wrath. I'm satisfied with the payment. I think of this story. I've told it once before, but it was my brother Paul's middle boy, Marty. He was about six foot, six one by the time he's 11th grade. Bad grades. And Paul would spank him as a grown boy. Take your spanking. You can't bring in F's on report cards. And us just wink and look the other way. Well, he did it enough times. He got tired of it. Nothing was working. And the magnificent gesture my brother made to the boy. When he brought back the bad report card, he simply said to Marty, Marty, somebody must pay for these grades, and your dad is tired of spanking you. It's not working, and he hands him the belt, but somebody must pay, and so your dad wants to pay your debt. From now on, you spank me, and give me as many blows as I would give you. Let's make it fair. And the boy broke down in tears, couldn't touch his dad, couldn't hurt him. And the grades changed, and the motivation kicked in, and it changed. Exactly this is what God did at the cross. Somebody's got to pay for your sins. And even if you were on the cross, it'd take a billion years and the debt would still be owed. Because you've sinned against a holy, righteous God, but what my son did in six hours, I was satisfied. So I cancel all of your hell and give you heaven just because a representative came that can quench my righteous anger. That's what propitiation is. And then he finally says, He came because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Think of it. Have you been poor? He's the only man in the Bible I read that lived in one adult garment all of his adult years, the one his mother made for him. He didn't have a change of clothes. He didn't have money to pay taxes. He robbed the mouth of a fist to pay his taxes. Have you been hated? He was called the child of fornication, son of fornication. His nickname in his neighborhood was bastard. That's what son of fornication in American truism would say. You're illegitimate. Your mother was a player. You don't even know the source of your origin. To call the son of God that? Or call him the son of a devil? You're, you're a demon-possessed man. They said that, Matthew 12. The Belial fills you. Belial was the God of flies. You're inhabited by demons from the fly world. This can't be. This can't be the creator. This can't be almighty God who can speak the universe out of existence. And then he says to you and to his people, if you ever get tempted, call on me. I've been there. I've experienced it. And this word is able to help. It means able to respond to the cry for help. I can't hear you. And he said, all you got to do is say, help. Have you ever had a prayer meeting when the only word you could say was, help, help. I cannot articulate what I need, but I'm in dire straits. He said, I went through all that humanity and earth and rejection has so I could become your sympathetic prayer answering God. I know when you're lonely. I know when you're falsely accused. I know when you're called names. I know when you're hated. I know when your daddy's passed away and you're living with a widowed mother. I know what it is to be poor. I know what it is to sleep out at night with no place to lay my head. Call on me. Call on me, and I will run to your aid. I've been tempted more than any human being in history has ever been tempted. Are you a woman? I've experienced every womanly temptation. How can it be? He's the God man. You're a man, you're a teenager, I understand the whole gamut of human trial, testing, seduction, Satan. I've experienced it all that I may be qualified to rescue those that simply cry. Because remember, you're his brother. There's no bully on the block that can outdo Jesus. No bully on the block, including the devil. And he says, I run to the cry of my people. I never offered help for angels, but I'll help my weakest brother, my weakest sister. This is our Savior. This is why he came. This is why he came. That's why you can make it. This is why you can make it. He is our strength. The Psalms say it it all the time. He is my strength. He is my help. He is my fortress. He is my shield. He's saying, he's my power. He's my protector. He's my prayer answerer. Oh, we give you Jesus. That's what Hebrews is saying. This is why, though he's greater than angels, he stoops lower than angels because he wanted to rescue humanity from all of all the entanglements of sin and we are the rescued, should we rejoice, should we not rejoice for why he came. If you don't have such help in your life, if you have no one to represent you, if you have no one that will run to you when you cry, it means you haven't become his brother yet. And all you have to do to become his brother is want to. And if you want to be related to Christ in a family way, the Bible uses the term, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will become a family member. You will be saved. You'll be saved from your sins, saved from the judgment of God, saved from all the wreckage that sin has brought to the human family. Jesus came to save. He's a Savior God. Santa Claus saves nobody. He just gets fat and keeps you hoping. We got a Jesus that saves, a wonderful Savior. Let us stand and we'll pray. I pray you will, if you have any need, if you have any desire to know this Christ, some of us pastors will wait up in front and we'll be glad to pray with you, share God's Word any way we can. We want you to know him. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And though he, he was God, he would stoop lower than angels. And then he would come to us in our wreckage, our pain, our fear, our bondage to Satan and hell, and set us free. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Bless your holy name. As we anticipate a new year, maybe the year Jesus will decide to come. He's coming again. It may be morn, night or noon, but he will come soon. I pray, let us be praying, anticipating And loving him until we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.